The business of operations management is difficult, particularly in large enterprises like banking, insurance, and other services companies with teams of hundreds and thousands around the globe. Now add in recent pandemic forcing the workplace to change forever. Managers and employees are under immense pressure to get work done, while also finding ways to balance performance and well-being. The complexity is building, and it can be difficult to find the answers. This podcast, AO On Air, partnered with ActiveOps, is designed to help identify areas that will help employees, managers, and senior leaders find solutions to the challenges within operations management. The future of work will take all departments, such as HR, IT, and ops, aligned along with a steady dose of innovation to succeed. We'll bring you topics, thought leadership, and simple plans to help lead your teams into the future of work. A hybrid work world that will learn from one another and truly act globally, breaking down the silos of older management models for new ways of working. Welcome to the journey. Now let's begin. Hello and welcome to AO On Air, a podcast sponsored by ActiveOps. I'm Michael Cups. I'll be your host today. Really exciting and an interesting guest today to talk about resilience. And it's a, it's a topic that we haven't really discussed on the podcast previously. We've covered a lot of technology information about returning to the office, the hybrid work methodologies, and, and, and what the hybrid workplace will look like. We even taught uh, people how to brand their transformation. So, But this one is going to focus on resilience, uh, in particular, something called social resilience resilience. And I, I think the topic will be fascinating if you either lead a team, participate in a team, or are part of a team, it's going to in, impact you in, in some way. Our guest today is My, Michael Papanik, and Michael is author of From Breakdown to Breakthrough. Uh, welcome, Michael, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's really great to be here. So I think maybe we start with, uh, I, I gave a slight introduction. Maybe you want to give a bit deeper introduction into yourself and, and, uh, and what you're doing. Yeah, so I am a former systems engineer. I was a programmer and then an account executive for mostly uh, high-tech and IT projects. And I noticed that those projects, the technology wasn't simple, don't get me wrong, but often the success had to do with other things besides exactly how the software of the program was going. It had to do with the relationships people had at work. It had to do with conflict, decision-making, teamwork, strategy, and leadership. And so um, in 1992, I left uh, my IT job and uh, after eight years as a programmer and went to a firm that specialized in leadership and collaboration. And then in 2008, I had an exit from there and started my own Michael Papnick Consulting. And we do organizational change, uh, leadership development, and executive coaching uh, for our clients, mostly high tech, but also in the areas of healthcare and uh, consumer products, uh, and again, uh, software or hardware. Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us. It sounds like a pretty rich pass from an experience perspective. Uh, so in your book, you talk a bit about unbreakable teams. Uh, maybe it's maybe we could start just by you know, kind of you setting the right. scene about what an unbreakable team is. Yeah, well, uh, right now a lot of people are experiencing a little breaking of their teams, right? So we have the hybrid. All the things you've talked about are really testing our resilience, right? And so, what do we mean by resilience? Just quickly, let's define resilience. So, if you ask an engineer what resilience is, they're going to say it's a combination of strength and flexibility. 
So many people may have seen pictures of like a bridge, you know, during a storm and it kind of bends. Now, some of those videos end with the bridge collapsing. Very exciting. Some of those, the bridge, when the disturbance ends, is still functional, right? So the idea of resilience is I can continue to perform whatever my function is as an organization, or in this case, a physical bridge under stress and change. So boy, we have massive stress and change right now. There's a lot of positive change, but there's a lot of unintended turnover that I'm sure clients are facing. Again, they use your software to try to address a number of issues with making hybrid really work for the employee and for the employer. And so that's where we focus on this idea of resilience, bounce backableness, your ability to function. However, one of the things that's different, a bridge, or we might say a palm tree versus an oak tree, right? The oak tree is strong, but eventually they'll break in a storm. The palm tree, strong and flexible, won't break. The difference when we were doing our research, both for the book and the work that I do with leaders, is that we're human beings, we're not bridges. So we added a third component. And Michael, um, this is uh, described in that model that we were talking about, the, the strong, flexible, fair resilience model. So um, if, if we can display that, but the idea is we wanna add, there it is, thank you. We wanna add fairness. So resilience in our relationships, not individual resilience. So what I'm talking about is not just me as a leader being resilient. That's good. I take care of myself. But what we want uh, in our companies is actually social resilience, unbreakable teams, not just individuals that take care of themselves. And so that's where we think about this framework. How can leaders make their environment strong, meaning productive, flexible, meaning it'll work under lots of different conditions, but also fair? So the employer and the employee feel like what they're putting in, what they're getting out is reasonable, is appropriate. Uh, it's not exploitive, but it's it's uh, going to lead to that kind of resilience that we want. Sure, sure. And so when you're talking about those resilient business relationships, I mean, how, how would a team or how would individuals go about identifying the healthy dynamics or identifying the danger dynamics, if you will, of, of, of where where things are headed? Well, that actually is a whole skill right there. So uh, there was a recent study at MIT's Sloan School. That's the business school at MIT. And they identified the most high-performing teams and business outcomes had uh, three special attributes. First, they could see this dynamic you're talking about. So that's just a skill. How do I see it? Second, they could discuss it as a team. So that stuff that you go home and tell your partner, oh my God, you wouldn't believe what happened at work today. Well, they can actually talk about those issues themselves. And then thirdly, they can change their dynamic. So they can see their dynamic, they can discuss their dynamic, and they can change their dynamic. And one way to do that is to use this framework that we just shared. Um, I have some assessment tools that we use. I have some surveys we develop, but you don't need that you, uh, if you don't want. You can just have a meeting with your team and say, yeah, we got all our tasks to talk about, but right now we're going to go meta. We're going to talk about how we talk about things. We're going to discuss how we discuss. Yeah. We're going to actually talk about our resilience as a social group. And so strong, how is this a strong relationship? Uh, we can discuss how is it productive? How do I get to do my best work? Uh, am I compensated appropriately? All those discussions flexible. So if I'm working from home now, 
how do we make sure that we can keep this relationship going in a flexible way? And so we can talk about, are we rigid, the opposite of flexible, or are we flexible? The opposite of strong is weak. And then fair. So we can discuss, and often your employees are already talking about this. It's actually a lagging indicator. If your employees are saying things are unfair, that means you already have a situation <laughs> that you right. want to change. So generally what we do is we look at the situations that are less satisfying. And so as a leader, you can just say to your colleagues, yourself, your team, how can we be more satisfied with the people side of how we work together? Yep. Um, and so that has to do with how do we give each other feedback? What do we do if somebody needs performance improvement? What do we do if we have a disagreement among each other or between the boss or, or whatever? How do we work that out in a way that actually strengthens our relationship? Uh, 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 unbreakable versus going into breakdown, yep. right? Again, the book is called From Breakdown to Breakthrough. How do we go from a breakdown type of situation into a breakthrough? And so that's one way to do it is to just have the discussion, yeah. which um, takes a little courage and brings a little heat, if you will. And so too many managers and employees, they, they, they use words like safety. Do I feel safe? And what does it mean to feel safe? It means that you can discuss something that's un difficult or unpleasant or that you're excited about or sad about and know that you won't suffer an undue consequence. So I can disagree with my boss. We can have, have it out. He can either, he or she can either change their mind or not. But in the end, they're not going to hold this sort of against me in some way. I'm not going to hold it against them in some way because it was a uh, proper conversation. Yeah. We actually didn't avoid the tough thing, but we talked about it. Well, so, so you, going back to, to that topic, you said when, when some things, when someone feels it's unfair, it's already too late. So you, you talk about the concept of a heat curve. So maybe uh, yeah. it's un, unfair maybe very further down the line on the heat curve, but maybe you could explain that process to us. That's great. Yeah. And, and we can show that heat curve. So the idea of the heat curve, and let me just orient you to the actual uh, graphic here. So that heat curve, what would be the x-axis is heat is increasing to our right. Now, in any conversation or relationship or set of relationships that a team is, a whole bunch of relationships, everybody has some sort of curve like this. So at first, heat might mean, wow, we're finally talking about that important thing, or I'm finally hearing you, or hey, we finally got a great idea. Heat can be very positive. It doesn't have to be a conflict. And so as heat goes up, you go, wow, this is an interesting meeting. I'm not bored. I'm paying attention. Everybody wants a chance to speak. Those are those good, interesting, high-value meetings that are worth your time. Problem is that we can go a little too far. And now we start to go, boy, this extra heat is not really giving me extra breakthrough. And then, as you say, can finally go all the way into breakdown where somebody's either thinking or might even say out, out loud something like, hold on a minute, that's not fair. That's not what I meant. You misunderstood me. You never understand me, you know, whatever it might be, right? So the idea is to manipulate that heat curve and essentially push it up and to the right. So in some organizations, at the tiniest sign of heat, let's take that offline, somebody will say, or hold on. I was actually in a, you know, happens to be a large publicly traded company and I was working with the leadership team there. And the CEO brought me in in part because he said, you know what, we don't have healthy debate here. 
We always have a meeting before the meeting and a meeting after the meeting. And then we undo what we did. And then somebody comes back and says, no, what about this? I want those actually, I, you know, I have my entire operating committee here. You know, don't quote me. It's probably a million bucks a minute for all those salaries, right? Yeah. That's an expensive meeting. And we're not getting enough out of it. We want to deliberate together. You see, it's the debate that actually creates the ownership. Yeah. Right. So if we don't, go up that heat curve a little bit, we're not forging an agreement that people are going to say, you know what, this isn't just the boss's idea. This is my idea. This is my baby. I want this thing to work because we got into it. And I really heard other people and they influenced me and I influenced them. It's that argument. Uh, Eisenhower used to say plans are nothing, but planning is everything. And Eisenhower, you may have heard of, did some pretty big projects. Uh, <laughs> and so the idea is, if I don't have, and that's another way, by the way, to discuss, you know, that MIT said, you know, we have to be able to see it, discuss it and change it. Yeah. So we can actually talk about the heat curve. I have a number of clients that use the heat curve and they actually now on their actual physical agenda, you know, not phys, you know, in the email or whatever, they put a little flame yeah. next to the topics where they're expecting some heat. And now, again, the same organization I was talking about, the CEO said, you know, we need more debate. And so now they're able to say something like, you know what, I actually have some heat to bring on this one. Yeah. And then people go, okay, I know what that means. It means that I need to listen and I need to respect and we're going to decide. So it's not like all ideas go. We're not having a good heat curve doesn't mean we never disagree. What it means is we disagree really well. Yeah. And so that we end up with better business decisions that people understand more and that they'll execute more, even under stress. We're back to that social resilience. Social, again, it's the bond that's resilient, yeah. not, not just the individual. And so um, that's what people use that heat curve for. And, and it's a big way of thinking about your culture, yeah. right? And, you know, even implementing your type of solution, probably going to bring some heat. Yes, when it first comes. And really your product, like every good product or service is a bit of a change effort at the company. Hey, we're looking at how we process differently. We're looking at how employees spend their time differently. We're interacting with them differently. We're able to balance workloads or any number of things that people can do. Most of that or all of that should be very positive, but it might create, right? Some heat, some disagreement. There may be particular ways you're each client wants to implement it or whatever. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing we're trying to do is avoid leaving what we say, leaving money on the table. In other words, there's value we could have gotten, but because we can't have that real mature professional conversation, we never really capture that value. Yeah. And maybe that's not getting the full ROI out of an investment with you guys or whatever it is they're doing. And so when you shift your culture this way, it, it really helps every, everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and why do we have to make decisions as managers? Because the world is not static. Yeah. Even if we don't want to change anything, somebody else is going to change something. That's going to make us do something. And so we have to be able to do this. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Great explanation, too. It's, it's interesting because, you know, our technology is providing insight or transparency into the work, the people and the time. So that those are the elements that we can measure. And then there's a point where you have to decide who's going to who's going to be doing which work at which time and 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 match that to skills and so forth. So there's there's these kind of what we would call a loading meeting, which which decides that in an individual session. And then you but you're talking about those three elements. So I, I was kind of taken by what you're discussing 
is uh, how do you start with a team? If a team says, hey, we think that we're, uh, we're broken down or we, we, we are at, we're at a, at a tipping point at least, how do you get started with coaching teams? I mean, what's the, what's the change process there? Yeah, that's great. So um, when the first thing, some basic principles of change, motivation drives change. Not, not a controversial statement, yeah. but unfortunately, it's like people try to get all the way to home plate without touching first, second, third. If I know we have international audience. Hopefully, they can appreciate the, ba- the baseball metaphor. But the idea is that if it's not a problem that is unacceptable to me, why should I change anything? So the first thing we're doing with this team, uh, again, either me coaching them or the leader doing this or them doing this themselves somehow, is to say, what is going on now in the current state and how do I feel about it? So we start with an awareness step. And, and, and often we have some little thing that's inspired us to say, you know what, this is not cool. We're, you know, whether or not they use the language on breakdown, they go, look, I'm not happy with X or Y. This was difficult. I don't want it to be the same. Next time, how can we be different? There's the key motivation. And I don't create that. We discover that. Right. And that's in the awareness step. And that's where the team and the employees, you want to spend enough time there, like touching first or second base. You got to spend some time in awareness. Then the next step is what we call choice making. Right. So people want to go straight from, oh, you're right. We should be better about X. Boom. Let's just go do it. Well, the problem is when we're under pressure, we're going to revert. When the manager, when the team, when, you know, when productivity or whatever the issue is, when they're under stress or pressure, they kind of go to their backup behavior. They kind of go back to their old behaviors, even though they don't intend to. We all know this in ourselves. I, I do this all the time, right? So first, enough awareness. You understand what's happening. And what do you want to change? That's yep. the first thing. Second, what choices do we make based on that? Right, choices about how I assign work, how I measure work, how I monitor work, whether or not I care about people and time and et cetera. Right. What do I really care about? That's all in the aware, the choice, excuse me, making phase. And then I can actually implement change. Um, if we look at that model, the the how change happens model, um, you can see uh kind of the impact of this. Okay, so what we want to happen is a quick AC uh, and then delta is the sign for change, quick awareness quick choice to change. And what actually happens though is we revert. What we want to do is we want, we want to get on with it. We're not taking too long, but we want to make sure we take long enough in the awareness and choice making and that the employees, the managers are all together in this awareness and choice making. That's what leads to lasting change, whether it's changes in productivity, changes in well-being, yeah. um, decreases in unintended turnover, um, uh, what you know, reductions in cost, whatever it is you're after. Yeah, yeah well, interesting. So um, I, I mentioned that we've we've had discussions on this podcast, and we have them all the time about this new hybrid work model that may be evolving. Um, I'm guessing that has a lot of opportunity for uh, misunderstanding people, uh, also uh, making assumptions that maybe shouldn't be made. But there's, there, it seems like that w- managing a hybrid team in the future is going to be very difficult. So would you have any recommendations where you have some people in the office, which you can have kind of that face-to-face discussion with versus right. some people in the remote offices, but you also don't want to alienate them where they don't feel part of the collaboration? Yeah, here's the thing. Hybrid is the hardest. I'm not saying people aren't doing it, but all remote is easier than hybrid, 
Okay. And so there were companies before the pandemic that were literally virtual, 100%, not one physical plant office of any kind. So they were built for remote yep. from the beginning, from a blank page. That's the attitude that I generally tend managers to uh, suggest that managers take. So one tip is if you're in a hybrid model, build for remote first, make face-to-face -face the exception. And the reason we say this is exactly what you just brought up, Michael, which is the side that says, you know, if I'm not in the office and the boss doesn't see me, can I really, it's, it's almost unfair to expect the boss to understand me the same way as someone who's in the office regularly. Yeah. Right. And so this is a, a serious issue. And, and again, myself and other experts that work on teamwork and collaboration and, 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 and how to implement, um, successful change uh, are, are know that you kind of have this balance, just as I said, strong, flexible, fair. You need a little of all, right? It's that spot in the middle that's the sweet spot. And so that's what we worry about as far as hybrid. So generally what we would say is first design for a remote first, then add. Also discuss this explicitly. Yeah. So don't you know, make it an actual productive discussion, not just a casual discussion. Oh, you know, what, what's it going to be like? Yeah. Well, let's agree on this and let's decide. And if you do have an employee that's completely remote, you know, how are you working with that person? How are you creating relationship? Um, and again, it's a fine line. So what I don't really think uh, is that effective is kind of that icebreaker thing. Oh, let's start our Zoom call by talking yeah. about our favorite food or something. Right. Yeah. I love to eat. I like to talk about food. Don't get me wrong. And it's not a bad conversation, but better to build a relationship on things that matter Yeah. a little yeah. bit more. How are you feeling today? Why are you feeling that way? Um, you know, and just to understand it yeah. and to understand each other as, as full people. And then uh, if you do have in the office, not, I would say, don't be casual about it. Be very specific. Hey, we expect you in the office three days a month, one Friday a month. We want everybody in the shop or one Monday a month, whatever it is, yep. so that it's not a judgment. So I don't have to sit there and go, you know what? I have kids and that's not fair because I can't go to the office. But this other person who doesn't have kids, you know, it's fine. They don't have kids, but that's not, you know, then they can go when they want. No, whether you're not, you got kids, you organize around it yeah. and you say, okay, family, you know, one Monday a month, I know we're going to have to make an arrangement and, and I'm expected in the office. And then we, we uh, appreciate that. The other thing is to have, last one I'll mention, is to uh, use some way of having those informal check-ins or get-togethers, whether it's Slack, Microsoft Teams, uh, there's a million products that my clients are using that have uh, sort of these open rooms. So it's not a Zoom meeting that's scheduled. It's just a room and I can open a window and I can leave that window open and then I can see if somebody else walks into the room. Yeah. And then I can just chat with that person if I want. Yeah. Or I can not be present. I can mark myself absent. So I would say support that kind of informal uh, chatting and getting together. The latest study I found is not good news for this. Productivity is difficult. And the hardest thing is cross-functional collaboration. So the thing that people are losing the most 
is this cross-functional collaboration. I'll, I'll, I'll finish with a little story here that's not from hybrid, pre-hybrid, but you may have heard of Sears. Now, you know, I tell the story now, Sears is actually all gone. But at one point, they were the biggest shop, right? And they had, um, uh, uh, was it outside Chicago? Where was Sears? I'm forgetting what town. I think it's Chicago. And so, yeah, it was. And they had a big, long, single-story building. And the only way to get from finance over to operations was to walk through all the other departments. Well, this created all this informal collaboration. You'd see somebody walking by and say, oh, I meant to ask you about this. or What about that? And then they moved to the Sears Tower. And so now all the offices were on different floors, and you just take the elevator right to your office and right back down. Collaboration went through the floor. Yeah. You know, the collaboration levels went way down because they just weren't seeing each other anymore. The executives weren't working through. The managers weren't walking around. Uh, they were just going right to their offices and down. And so it's a similar thing for a hybrid. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what we want to watch out for. That's a great, that's a great example of, uh, of collaboration. The, the, the last question I have for you is really, you know, I know you work with international clients. We work with international clients. And, and equally, we work with clients that have operations in different countries and or BPO partners. So they have outsourcing partners. How does this, will this apply to uh, teams that maybe are partially with an outsourcer and partially with the the company team members? Yeah, my experience is less than half of these arrangements really work out. So you're right to bring them up because they're a tough one. And I've worked with a lot of companies that would outsource to India, other places, as you say, and now it's even more developed than that. What's great about it? What's great is you're developing a global economy. You're helping somebody in, you know, wherever it might be, have a, have a nice job and develop their tech or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of pluses. What generally happens, though, is the envisioned ROI either doesn't happen or doesn't happen for a long time. And so you're absolutely right to bring it up. Again, it just throws a whole nother challenge on top, right? And, and you know, people say, oh, use Zoom. You can collaborate with anybody around the world. No, your computer and their computer can talk. Yeah. Whether you're collaborating depends on what's happening in the meeting, not, not the fact that you're connected, right? So people, computers don't really collaborate. People collaborate. And so um, one of the important things I would mention there is, again, strong, flexible fare. So for example, here in California, there were no, there was no eight hour period of the workday. There's no time during a normal eight hour day that overlaps with a normal business day in Bangalore. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so there was never a time. And I was working with a big call center outfit that we won't worry about the name of. They never scheduled a meeting during the business hours in India. Just yeah. never. And so that was one of the first things I was saying, you know, you want to do that and you want all the ROI from that? Well, you're going to have a curve where at first there is an ROI because you got to get it organized. Then the curve will go up and you'll get ROI. And so you got to have some meetings where it's, you know, whatever is the probing, 9 a.m. for them or 5 p.m. for them. And it might be the middle of the night for you. You want to show that you value them in symbolic and substantive ways. So scheduling the meetings is kind of both symbolic and substantive. Uh, The other thing is to realize what work are we outsourcing and what is the nature of that? And is that a win-win partnership or are people kind of going, oh, great, all the stuff I hate, I can now give to the the (laughs) process, you know, to the outsourcer. Um, Maybe that works, but you better make sure that that's exactly what works. And that not only the top, but everybody throughout the company and both companies 
have the right expectations together. So if we set expectations together and then we're highly flexible and respectful, um, then we can get a great ROI. Excellent. Well, excellent feedback, excellent concepts too. I mean, and it overlaps well with what ActiveOps customers go through when they take the journey with us in in the data journey and the methodology journey. So awesome. awesome yeah, they're stuff. going through awareness, yep. new choice making, new change. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, before we break off, though, I just want to give you an opportunity where if somebody wanted to pick up the conversation with you directly, uh, where would they find you? Uh, michaelpapanick.com, easiest way. So you can contact me at info at michaelpapanick.com or just go to the website and you'll find a contact. So uh, again, it's my first and last name, M-I-C-H-A-L, then P-A-P-A-N-E-K.com. Great. And I'm sure they can get their book on Amazon or, or any of yes, your favorite at, choices. Yes, or, even, you know, that's right. Amazon, digitally, yep. any way they want. Yep. And, and uh, I also will mention I have a class on Udemy. It also covers a lot of these same ideas, the heat curve, the resilient relationships, social resilience. Uh, that's a great program there on the Udemy platform called Agile Leadership. And you just search for me. It's one of their top leadership programs right now. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And for everybody listening or watching this so after it's replayed, uh, thank you. Uh, we appreciate your participation. Uh, as always, you can find more on ActiveOps at ActiveOps.com and our resource hub. We have a a whole plethora of information from playbooks to videos to white papers and, of course, these podcast recordings. Uh, what we are hoping to do is help you transition into this new way of working as we come out of the pandemic. And we know everybody's faced with challenges and opportunities, and it's what you make of them that will make the best of all of us. So, again, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. So thanks a lot. And, Michael, thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. At ActiveOps, we call it Management Process Automation, or MPA. MPA helps managers make better decisions by providing a consistent, easy-to-understand view of capacity and productivity. MPA does the hard work of consolidating information, forecasting and planning, and even gives you visibility of skills and capabilities across your enterprise. Your managers can make decisions based on a complete picture of their operations and then get back to leading. As work progresses, MPA helps managers spot problems early and deal with them proactively, celebrate successes properly, and match resource to workload in real time. By making managers more effective, MPA reduces operational costs. Best of all, the right MPA tools make it possible to deliver all these benefits across global enterprises with thousands of employees. Solutions like Workwear Plus from ActiveOps, Workwear Plus builds on our 20 years of experience supporting service operations to give you a 360-degree view of your operations, helping you turn operations management from a guessing game into a game-changing source of efficiency and value. Employees are empowered to manage their days and weeks, feeling accomplished, confident and able to balance work and personal life. Wherever your organization or customers live and work, ActiveOps is ready to help you deliver world-class service and employee engagement to help your company thrive. ActiveOps. See further. Know more. Move faster.